Well, you know, I know that uh, over there in Sydney, Matt Ray is locked down and can't do anything. Meanwhile, I'll tell you what, what's going on over here in, in Dwyvendrecht in Amsterdam. We're, we're using the IKEA app to configure some kitchen cabinets. Now, I don't know if y'all have experienced the IKEA app. I got a couple of things to say on this topic as usual. But the IKEA app, it, you put in your dimensions for your kitchen or your room, and then is, it makes is a this, three-dimensional model. Is it phone or desktop? Well, I haven't tried it on the phone, but it, we did it on the desktop. Okay, good. And I don't know. We should. I mean, I feel like it should work on the phone because the phone's just a little desktop. Well, I, I know, but, but like, yeah, go ahead. I got thoughts on that. It might actually be nicer. Okay, so, so you know, we got it on the desktop here, right? Uh, or more like the lying down on my back, holding the computer up in the air as the baby crawls back and forth over my face top. You oh, know, so the iPad is, is. No, no, no. It was the, it was a laptop. <laughs> But uh, anyhow, you know, you so you set up the dimensions of your room and then you can spin it around, you know, and you can even do that spinning where you slide on the mouse pad, the trackpad, and uh, then you can select your cabinets to put here. And I was going through it and, you know, even though it's kind of frustrating, I was I was telling Kim, I was like, boy, back when I made web pages, this would this would be science fiction that you could do this in a web page. And it's just things have come so far. That's all I wanted to say is, boy, you can you can do a three dimensional walking around look at yourself in a chrome sphere all sorts of stuff just through uh but, i don't even know what that is is that html7 well, or something well let's get to the it's, it's, uh, it's VR. the digital it's transformation VRML. question that is always matters it's like well is it working is it actually allowing you to configure your kitchen in a faster more automated way or is it just like ah, uh, you know close enough i think i think i think it is well well okay I thought it was a yes or no question. I mean, I think it is. I think it's more than close enough, if that makes sense. And let me, so I did manage to replicate. We did, I should say, we managed to replicate the kitchen's dimensions. And I even managed to replicate the cabinets that we already have in there, which are not Ikea cabinets, right? And then you can even add in a fridge. Now, there's a little, little bumps here and there. Like, for example, we should be able to add a cabinet above the base cabinets going up to the ceiling, but it won't let us just drag it up there. But it's fine. That's pretty high, right? And they right? don't have a wine. Yeah. yeah, 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 for sure. I mean, you know, it's it's like it's like uh, it's the Netherlands, so you build up. You always you want to go up the maximum amount is is how uh, things go. Because because we had this. Just, <laughs> yeah, that's right. Uh, we had, you know, know what what I've discovered now that we've moved a little bit out of the city. It's confirmed one of my theories, which is there's actually plenty of land in the Netherlands. It's just that cows live on that land. Like you just, you get a little bit out of the city and there's, and you know, you gotta, you gotta eat. So it's fine to have cows and crops, but like, man, there's so much farmland uh, around here, just everywhere that if you really wanted to, uh, you know, have more space, you just kill off some cows and uh, take over their space. You gentrify the cow, the cow fields is what you would do soon, but yeah. It's very, very, very green country. Well, why you've been working on this? I want to, one other thing. Like you uh, seem like you're uh, in the actual use case. Yeah. Does IKEA have the thing where, um, kind of the augmented reality thing, where you can like pick the item mm. and then you can like put okay. it on your phone and you can see what it will look like in the in the yes. location? Yes. Have you tried this? So now I talked this. They went over this in the EBC that I attended, mm -hmm. uh, and I saw a cool demo wow. in the you, App Store. IKEA and I, ran an EBC I, for you just to buy kitchens, uh, kitchen cabinets. This is metaphorically fantastic. speaking, I, I love Meta it. This is metaphorically speaking. <laughs> yeah, that would be nice, though, wouldn't it? Bring me in. Uh, get to uh, you know, there'll be some designer who has has had no pre briefing at all and just kind of slides in. I, I like the EBC. The food would be good though. They the have executive. meatballs. They have some nice mm. meatballs in the back for you. That'd be That's great. true. That's true. So yes, there is there is something called IKEA placement. I don't know what it's called, place, and it has an AR thing where mm -hmm. you can do that. And I was kind of playing with it, but you know, I ran out of free time. Uh, I've only got about five minutes in my life at the moment, and uh, I was excited that they would use because my wife, my wife, she has that the new iPhone with the lidar in it, so you can do like we've been doing the oh, every wow. now and then where you can mm -hmm. do the the lidar thing, and I thought like that would be perfect. Ikea surely must have this, right? Yep. Where you go into your kitchen and you scan the LiDAR model and then it's like, boom, done, right? And like now you can just press random and we'll just show you random configurations for stuff. Because <laughs> in theory, you know, that's the whole point of the LiDAR scan is it should be a more than good enough scan of all the distances that everything has 
that everything has of your whole kitchen, right? But no, it's just AR crap, which I don't think. Okay, you know. so it didn't work. Is I, what you're saying? Is that your net net of the? Yeah, I mean, it didn't work. Well, I haven't used it that extensively, but it wasn't. It it wasn't. It looked like it was going to have to be a lot of work on my part to uh, to get it to work. Whereas, whereas with the lidar thing. I mean, LiDAR is work. You've got to, like, move the camera around. I don't know what they call it in Apple land instead of LiDAR. But, you know, you move it around and it maps stuff. But there's an app that we use, and it's really good. It's, like, it shows you the part you haven't scanned yet, and then you scan it, and then you're done. And then it renders it. And, like, I feel like the IKEA people, they should make an app that has the LiDAR. And it's just, like, scan this. We'll tell you when you're done. We're going to have to spend, like, five minutes rendering it or three minutes or whatever, which is cool. But then you'd have this perfect model of your kitchen or your bedroom, and you could just, uh, you wouldn't have to take all these measurements. And instead, we had to use a tape measure. I mean, it's tough life. Tough life. But, you know, I just thought it was, I, I, being more optimistic, it's just, I mean, I remember when we used to, have, we were using like VRML to like make the uh, Shop US mall. Or well, I, I, I was hoping you were going to tell us that you, you know, spent a couple hundred dollars to get the Oculus headset so you could, you know, move cabinets mm-hmm. around in your house. Yeah. But yeah, that would that would be cool with the. It's coming soon. Metaverse. It's the new hotness. This show is brought to you by Clubhouse. Now the name may be familiar, but today we're talking about Clubhouse, the project management service. And in a few weeks, Clubhouse will rename itself Shortcut. But until then, I want you to try Clubhouse.io. Have you ever really been happy with your project management tool? Most are either too simple or too complex, but Clubhouse changes that. Clubhouse offers project management built specifically for software teams that's fast, intuitive, and flexible. Clubhouse includes team-based workflows, allowing teams to use default workflows or customize them to match the way they work. Clubhouse also has support for roadmaps. With roadmaps, you can quickly tie your company-wide goals to the specific work that your teams are doing. With integrations with GitHub, GitLab, and Bitbucket, users can quickly update their status in Clubhouse right from the command line. Clubhouse also has full support for iteration planning and tracking. Simply set up your iteration priorities and then Clubhouse will automatically create your burndown charts and other reports. Try Clubhouse by visiting clubhouse.io slash SDT. Again, that's clubhouse.io slash SDT. And remember, in the coming weeks, Clubhouse will be known as Shortcut. And of course, we thank them for sponsoring our show. Well, as everyone knows, one of our favorite topics is open source. And at the moment, it seems like Elastic just can't stay out of the bucket of open source funness. And now I I I, uh, I think I saw the effect of this, and I unfortunately didn't take time to read it. So I think I, I'm going to need one of you to explain the details. But it looks like some code got into some elastic thing that somehow I don't know if this is uses Bitcoin to do it, <laughs> but somehow it, it 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 says if you can't run a fork, right? Like uh, it's trying to prevent you from running mm, uh, forks. Uh, but okay, hold so, on. I don't think yeah, that's yeah. I don't think that's back to the bucket code. No, no, back I don't to think the that's right. <laughs> Yeah, hold on. I was gonna say no Bitcoin, no Bitcoin in this. Not yet. No least. Bitcoin. But no, no, no anti forking. Okay. Yeah. Um. I mean, the is there uh, blockchain? The, not yet, but uh, I think they're blocking the ability to use blockchain also. Um. So, so yeah. Essentially, the the first incarnation of this uh, ongoing saga of of late is that um, Elastic has updated their Python client uh, to disallow non of Elastic releases. So, you know, Elastic has a client that can talk to Elastic's branded Elasticsearch. Ah, And if you're using that client, it can no longer talk to Amazon's OpenSearch. Yeah. And and so that, uh, obviously that started a whole thread of, you know, are they doing this on purpose? And Elastic's Mm -hmm. defense Mm -hmm. was, well, we're just making sure, we we introduced some new features and we want to make sure that we don't accidentally break your client. And oh, I like that. Uh, as a developer, uh, or you know, part-time developer, or whatever, uh, that smells really fishy to me uh, because <clears throat> clearly, you don't do this in a minor release. You're like, oh yeah, we broke a bunch of stuff, and we're going to make it so you can't use us with anything else in this minor point release. That's that's bad Sember. And you know, secondly, yeah. you could just mm-hmm. throw a, an error and say like, you know, oh this. Uh, you know, this is not supported in your release. You could throw that from the server side, you know, and the open search people would never throw that error because they're not the ones, you know, having that problem. So this just smells bad all around. And it essentially looks like Elastic doesn't want their code to be used with anything but their product. 
um, which mm-hmm. isn't very open source friendly. Is, is that some kind of certificate thing or you hard code some IP address? Like how do you, I mean, if, how do you ensure that you're not? Oh, they're just looking at the, the compatible. Yeah, the, <clears throat> they're just looking at the response headers. So, you know, when you connect to uh, ah, the server, it okay. says, you know, hey, greetings from OpenSearch, you know, 8.0. And they're like, open, you're, you know, you're not Elastix 8.0, you know, reject. I see. And I see. That, I see. And, it's then, that and then you couldn't, you couldn't, you couldn't flub it because that's a trademark. And then they could sue you for putting a trademark thing in the response headers or something. Well, I mean, technically, that's a bad workaround anyway because you know maybe there actually is some difference between the servers and yeah. you don't want that so you know yes you probably could introduce some sort of thing to fake the client uh or to fake the server um but then that's right, right. you know that's a bad that's workaround yeah yeah that's it's, and, it, it, and it, maybe it's crossing a copyright line too but that's just a bad yeah. workaround because eventually it's i, gonna I mean it, it reminds me of, I don't know if this is still the case, but I feel like there was some point where when we're like all the web browsers, i.e. Oh, yeah. everything identified themselves as like Netscape, like their headers <laughs> were all weird. Like, Well, you could still and, do that today in your browser, right? You can set, you know, it's pull out Safari and you can be like, I'm an iPhone, you know, and like, you sure are. Let's serve mm-hmm. you up some mobile, right? So you can, you can do that. But, but that's, from that's the client usually side. for developers. Yeah, that's from the client side. And that's. Mm-hmm. You know, the intention mm-hmm. there is to like, you know, debug and test, not, you know, yeah. to have to fake it too much. And, and, you know, except when you're going to those websites that would only let you use IE. So that's that's the corner that Elastic's painting themselves into. They want to be the IE of uh, clients. All right. So the the Python client looks at the the server, let's just call it server metadata, the headers, the response yeah, headers. Yeah. And if it's not the, uh, if it's not the, the commercial Elastic thing, then, well, I think to be careful, it's, it's the it version, won't, won't right? Work. It's the specific version. Okay. I think it's the version, seven, so 7.14. Yeah. Okay. Right, right, which which is which is the, I mean, 7.4, whatever version is it, it's the version of the official thing. And if you're not that version number, you're not the official right. thing, right? Right. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So to be, now, I, I don't know. I mean, it's one of these things at first glance, and clearly the narrative out there is that, like, it was done completely to just, you know, to essentially make life difficult for um, for anyone that wants to use the open uh, the open search stuff, so I, that's one hundred percent writ- the written narrative, and that's how it'll be talked about now. But if you go to the Twitter thread that's in the show notes, or for those listening in in the chat here, you can see like one of the developers that looks like he, you know, I, I don't know, he he actually engaged and said and offered up just an explanation of, hey, we did this because we wanted to make sure that one, we tell you. Um, not in production. We don't want to throw the error in production, right? We want you to know about it beforehand. And two, he kind of gives a reason about some history around what they were doing around versioning. And so I don't know. I just, from just reading his profile a little bit, he doesn't, he didn't seem like the person, the spokesman you would send out. Like it really felt like he was just providing information. Like he genuinely was providing information that this is why it was. And he didn't seem like the spokesman you would put out there to like try to clarify everything. So part of me also just thinks like, was just what is it possible this was just a innocent mistake kind of thing or you know or a technical choice they made but, but it's just bad yeah, timing it looks really bad there, on there, top of that there are plenty of technical ways to you know not do it that way right you could just say like hey we have a different api if you use you know this extent you know if you use this url right. instead of that url you get those new bits so you know or you know, or again throw a warning or something you know, to non seven fourteen clients, just say like, "Hey, you're using a deprecated client." You can easily detect that stuff on the server side and give them something like update your client. You know, mm-hmm. there's there's lots of technical okay, ways so to do it. Just straight up breaking. Right, let's go with is, your let's go with your theory. It's sort of it's it was done on purpose. So, at what level of the organization was this decided on? Like, did <laughs> did somebody? Because that's the part I wonder. Like, was it like? it sort of happened in development and people are like, yeah, leave it like that. Right. It's sort of just like they found it. Or was it like, Hey, the next time we rev the client, let's make sure the client doesn't work well with AWS and somebody at some level, I mean, we go product management, VP product executive. Like, did they actually say that? Like, I'm like, I don't know. It's hard for me to believe it. I'm not saying it didn't happen. I, I agree that that is hard to fathom that somebody just sat down and said, like, look, break it here. I mean, I could see like, 
you know, somebody, you know, maybe it just got through that, hey, we only test with elastic and we're going to have this and maybe, maybe nobody thought about it. I mean, I, I, I would much rather assume that someone accidentally did it, but you know, they, they didn't say this was an accident, right? They said this was intentional. So that's, that's the kicker, right? You could say, oh, oh, it's a bug that slipped through and, you know, we'll fix it with a nice deprecation warning or, you know, some sort of, you know, error that allows you to, you know, update your client to work around it. But instead it's just straight up rejecting stuff. All right. Well, hold that's the this. part that makes it seem intentional. How about this as a theory in this, in the uh, iteration planning, they were like, they're like, Hey, we're going to do this new change to the client. And it's like, well, if we don't support the backward compatibility and we don't do versioning or any of the ways you've outlined it, it'll take us whatever, you know, X amount of points. But if we have to do all that other work, it's going to take us longer. And then then someone said, well, who does that affect? Well, it's only going to affect people in the open source, you know, open search. And they were like, "Ah, okay, fine. Let it ride. They were just like, it's just convenient. It was just like, well, we don't really care about that. And I want you to work on, I need you to get this other feature done, right? That I could go with. Yeah, I I could go with that because that's still... That that goes with the narrative of, you know, we're not testing with other stuff, but they never seemed apologetic about it. That's the part that still gets me. There's just like, you right. know, oh, our bad, you know, if you send us a pull request, we'll fix it. No, nobody ever said like, you know, hey, we're willing to fix this. They're just like, this is how it is. True. That, yeah. that, that, I guess it's what, sort of like what, we're willing to make the mistake and we don't really care about walking it back. That, that's, it yeah, so that, far. that's the thing. Yeah. There, there's no yeah. like mea culpa of, you know, oh, we sure would like to have, you know, you know, oh. Pull request welcome. You know, it's super passive aggressive, but somebody would pull, you know, would follow up on that. They didn't even say that. You know, they're just like, no. Mm-hmm. But do you help? Do you think it helps the business of Elasticsearch? That's the part I just like, I don't, I don't believe, but I guess I don't, I don't never believe the licensing changes helped either. So maybe it's just, to me, it's all the same bucket of like, you're just kind of like the, the rise and fall or the success of Elasticsearch will have nothing to do with these decisions. This is just, you know, it's just, kind of annoying for everyone it isn't going to really affect your your revenue at least to me well what what's their uh uh how how's their how's their share price doing <laughs> it's doing it's well. fine yeah it's doing it doesn't fact, matter right one of I mean, the listeners pointed out in the slack that like since they've made the aws fork or what no wait a minute sorry I don't know. I don't know. I'm not sure who forked whom here, but like since AWS did the forking. Since, yeah. yeah. So since Elasticsearch, oh, it changed the license. That's what that was the thing that their stock price had been up. Now, I don't know. Like, is it causation there, correlation? I have no idea. But so, I mean, the company so, seems to be doing fine. So, their ESTC is that, is that ESTC is their, uh, what do we got here? They've been out for it. Let's put it on max. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're doing all right. Let's see. You had a, uh, what, what's their, 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 I mean, they've been up to, at some point, they were at 166.83, and now they're at 153.61, right? Right. So pretty good for a, and then and then when they opened up, they were like, I don't know, around 70 way back when, in 2018. We, so we probably said for they a were solid, that, don't buy. <laughs> yeah, 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 for sure. I mean, I think I, they're, they're, uh, they're preserving themselves all right there. So, you know. Yeah, I mean, I mean this who is. Who knows? Yeah. Who, who knows perfectly... if there's actual like like financial analysts who are paying attention to what's in a Python script somewhere? Probably not. But you know, yeah. But I do think the way yeah. it gets written about though, See, the way that it gets written about, hey, Elasticsearch sort of you know continues to push back against AWS. Now that I think analysts will read in the register articles. Mm, I think that'll at least be yeah, on their yeah, radar. Yeah. I don't think now. But, but do you think they take that as a positive or a negative? Right? They're like, you know, is, is it is it. Better for Elastic to be assertive against AWS and stand up for their IP, or is it better to be a good open source, you know, member and you know build up the community? I think if you you're know, a that maybe that's stacks by uh, analysts. Oh yeah, right. I think if that's Those my job, like, I'm gonna write that, it to AWS. I think so. I think it is. All right. I think you're gonna write it from like this is great, and there you're gonna have some like they're increasing the moat. They're you know building competitive yeah. differentiation. So I do think if you're writing your report. You would include that it's a good thing in there. Now, I think if you're like uh, the new stack, or if you're, <laughs> if you're uh, new stack, or Red Monk, or, or several other people would be like, people this are like, is wrong. oh, you're just torching your community. Yeah, well, you're that, just making everyone mad, years. and they're going to hate yeah. you, and they're going to eventually leave because you've made it. Because this is the kind of thing that I mean, you know, back to the Red Monk thing, right? Developers are the king makers. I think is the, is the line. 
It's like, yeah, well, I mean, mm-hmm. if you start making the lives hard of developers where they have to like maintain multiple clients or switch stuff out, that's, this is the kind of stuff that will like, the developer works over the weekend. It's like, yep, I got rid of all the Elasticsearch stuff. We don't need it anymore. Like we're going, you know, exactly. like that's the kind of thing that is, that is motivating to developers to get rid of things. This episode is brought to you by CBT Nuggets. Are you looking to build your IT skills? Do you want to learn more about IT security, cloud computing, or networking? Then it's time to visit CBT Nuggets. They offer over 350 courses and over 2,000 virtual labs. They have courses available on everything, including AWS, Linux, VMware, and even Salesforce. Best of all, it's available online so you can learn what you want, when you want. CBT Nuggets adds over 40 hours of new training each week, so there's always something new to learn. They also offer accountability coaching, allowing you to speak with a real person who can help you create a personalized learning plan, set goals, and check in to make sure you stay on track. To get started, visit cbtnuggets.com sdt. That's cbtnuggets.com sdt. There you can sign up for the seven-day free trial, which gets you full access to all their courses. You know, I look through there, and I'm always wanting to learn Python more. And there's a lot of courses there where you can kind of ramp up into it and uh, even do some advanced networking things with Python. Other topics like that, I may go check that out when I'm done recording this. Anyhow, you can start learning today by going to cbtnuggets.com sdt. And of course, we thank them for sponsoring our show. Well, uh, you know, I asked this general question, you know, this is, this is the season we're worked for in this time of year. You sometimes have, uh, reorganizations. And I, I was thinking about this as I was reading headlines, seeing stuff going on out there in the industry. And I was thinking how maybe there's a, there's a Harvard business review or a MIT Sloan or no, the MIT think masters. I, I forget what their magazine is called. Uh, but like there must be some some study about how to make a reorg effective because i feel like you know of all you know big companies i've worked for they'll go through reorgs and like it's hard to know what the point of it was like it's it's sort of, and and the in in my mind i was thinking through ones historically that i've been through in the past and it usually is uh it's usually like a collapsing of various product suites or business units into one, or it's the opposite where you pull apart. Is it ever the opposite? I think it's very rarely that you pull apart uh, a, a BU uh, you, into you, separate you, one. You carve things out. Always kind of, I mean, yeah. Yeah. Something gets yeah. too big, could, unmanageable, and you're like, all right, that's, you know, that's the tools team. That's, or, you know, that's that, true. I think, I, I think if you're in growth mode, like I would imagine at, in the, the, like the early days of PCs, at some point they were like, we got to separate desktops from servers, right? Like we can't just, it's can't, and, then, and then in desktops, at some point they're like, we need to separate desktops from workstations. Like these, these are different buyers and things like that. So I can see that you would disaggregate things, but it seems like it's more of just like, kind of bundling up existing business units. And I, I, I don't know. I, I, I was trying to think of a historic example of when like a reorg at a company worked very successfully. Like it, like it was like that. The issue was that the organization was not set up in the, the ideal way. And, uh, you know, I didn't think that long about it cause I got, <laughs> to, to I was, was going to say like, uh, Steven Sanofsky had his, uh, a newsletter series about you know the early days of Microsoft and his time as as uh, Bill Gates's right hand man and they went through all sorts of those reorgs right as they you know shifted yeah. because you know now we're doing DOS now we're doing you know Office you know so if you want if you want a historical view that's a place you can go and like you know because he he goes through a lot yeah, of those contortions yeah. right but I do think going back yeah. to the like think about like who um what is the reorg sir um I guess let me say it this way. What does who's the customer of the reorg, right? And that, and think of it that right. way is that most of the time I think it is uh, the executive team trying to build either a updated or a new mental model about how they want to think about and run the business, and then sometimes going so far as to yeah. the, this is the way that we want to talk about the business with investors. So it's important that you know when we take to your thing about collapsing business units, it's like well 
we want to talk about this as one entity. And we want when we talk about financially, we're going to report it as one entity. And so therefore, it's important right. to that group of people. But you as someone that's maybe in the middle management layer, let's say of one of those business units, like probably your job wasn't really going to change, especially if your product line isn't radically being shifted. So I, I think of like, if you think of it that way, I understand why people reorganize. The other times I would say is sometimes it's just, you know, kind of like almost back to computer science is optimizing communication paths. Like if you just want two groups, you feel like they're not talking them enough or they're not, you know, working enough. one way you can force it is like make them all like work, you know, if you will, on one team or give them one leader who will make them talk more than say, if they're like two or three business units away. And so, I mean, those, those things, yeah. I definitely see it happen. You can argue whether or not it's valuable or not, but I, I do think see those things changing. Yeah. 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 I mean, I mean, that's, that's okay. So there, there's a couple of good things there. One is like, uh, for your financial reporting, like there's all, com- there's all these companies, you know, they want to report on their cloud revenue. So they bundle a bunch of stuff into yeah, whatever the, the obvious cloud thing one, is. Right? I remember, yeah. I remember something Sun, Sun, yeah. And, and I mean, and now like a long time ago, like Sun, I remember was their reporting was always weak. I remember because I could never tell how much money software made like software on its own was like hidden somewhere hidden. Maybe is the wrong word, but it was like wrapped up into some other thing, which was, which was confusing to track down at some point, at least publicly. And then, and then, you know, infamously there's many companies that report on cloud and it's, you know, not NIST definitional cloud stuff. It's, it's other things, or it's very SAS heavy and you're just sort of like, sure you know, SAS, what are you going to do? Right. Like there's a lot of money there. Uh, but yeah, yeah. But you're, I mean, you're making me remember, like, I remember when I was, you know, back in my analyst days, we would have, there would be very frequently sessions about how we reorganize things. And, you know, the analysts are just like, mm, let's talk about products, right? Like, no, it's frustrating, but yeah, I, I guess, I guess there's reasons for it, but it, it just seems like, Hmm. I have no conclusion. No, I think but you're saying it, the it, amount it, of like time I, that the, let's say this, the burden of change on the larger organization and the amount of time and effort it takes to do a reorg is, I'm just going to say in theory, right? It's or it's like one uh, observation is that it's usually not worth it. Like at the end of the day, if you do all of this yeah. and you put the organization through all this change, you should see some type of measurable, you know, incremental type change. And most, and many times you don't, right? It's just, uh, it's not measurable to anyone except maybe, the CEO, so, when he's talking yeah. to an analyst, right? The fact that he has like one bucket of numbers, but for everyone else, and it could be sometimes it's thousands of people, right? It creates a lot of like uncertainty organization, a lot of pol- political conversations. And it's just like, yeah, in yeah, a lot of yeah. ways it, it is not worth it. <laughs> is, is it worth it to start messing with people's paychecks to, you know, mm-hmm. as, as they're working remote uh, and start saying, well, you know, you're, since you're not in San Francisco, we're going to cut your pay 10% now. Like, that just seems like a way to, you know, accelerate your org change by getting people to bail. <laughs> Is that intentional? <laughs> now, now, so this would be the organization change of you are in office versus a remote person instead of yeah. the, the the structure of. But, the but they go together, right? If 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 you want to encourage change in your organization, you start messing with people's pay. You know, you move them around, oh. you mess with their pay, and then, you know, maybe you shake out some of the people who are like, you know, oh, well, you know, we didn't really want that guy anyway. So, you know, we're going to we're going to dock his pay a little bit, change his org, and uh, maybe maybe we'll get some savings by uh, people voluntarily leaving. I mean, that's well, the only explanation I see for that. <laughs> so so I think I think there's two issues here. Let's 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 maybe wrap up the reorg issue and then move on to one of my favorite topics excuses to pay people less. I, I always, I always enjoy that, but like, it, it seems like, I think, I think on the reorg thing, you, you reminded me of, uh, I got distracted by the cabinets, you know, when I was thinking about them earlier, but you reminded me of the, the fine, the final thought I had on reorgs, which is, it seems like there's probably more, you know, I always start with two and I end up with five, but there's two motivators. is the right word, but there's, kind of the reorg you were talking about where I was talking about at first, which is sort of just like internal facing, like it's the organization figuring out how to run itself better. Right. And you know, that might be because you've got a new executive or an old one, or these two groups don't work together. So you've got to collapse them together so that 
I'm always suspicious of that. Like if the incentives really align, because it's always like, we'll keep doing the thing through the financial planning year and then we'll pick up on the new thing next year. So whatever. Uh, but like, so you've got that internal facing thing. And I guess that's where I always feel a little like iffy. Like it's that idea of like, should companies spend that much time where their product is themselves? And the, but then the second one that I think both of you brought up is, is the one that's more intriguing and may has better results, which is we're reorganizing either to look like what we would like the world to see us as, regardless of how we run internally, right? And I think, I think maybe like IBM did this, right? Where they kind of, I remember the trail end of when I was at Redmonk, they were kind of always shifting themselves around or at least the labels and the labels kind of matched what their it. aspirations were. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I haven't followed them that closely since since then. But, you know, there's a whole, there's that whole cognitive business unit where, you know, I, I don't know what that is. I mean, I guess I could look it up, but it's a, it's a, it's, it's an aspiration that they have, what their vision is. But then there's another, I don't know, I couldn't, there must be ones like this, but I haven't, I can't, couldn't think of one, but there's another type of reorg, which is, oh, no one thinks of our company the way that we're organized. They all think of it this other way. And so we're actually organizing it in the way that our customers think that we operate. Right? Oh yeah, and, that's always fun. Yeah. You know, and, when and so, when you're mean, interacting that, with them, you know, as, as coming from the external and you're like, wait, that's how you think about yourself. Nobody thinks about you that way. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It's, it's, it's sort of like, you know, uh, I, I don't know. It's, it's, it's almost the positive version of the Brown horizon, right? Where like the customer thinks of you in this totally different way that you're not actually a cardboard box. You know, you're not actually like a, a cardboard manufacturer. You actually make jigsaw puzzles, right? Like your specialty is something totally different than what you think it is and, and the value that people, uh, you know, why people mm -hmm. buy it. So, that kind of reorg seems best, but I, I don't know the other ones. I need to find some some literature on uh, on reorgs, what works and doesn't work. Now, to your second topic, Matt Ray, I uh, you know uh, big, big time listener Jordy. He always has a good defense of uh, lowering people's pay when they move out of a certain geography, and I think this is a this is always a very there must be some group style because uh, it's very in a good way clever. And so, you know, the, the, the case here, the, the whole situation is if, if someone is going to go from working in the office in San Francisco, it's always San Francisco, San Francisco or New York, they want to, they work remotely. So why are they paying a lot of rent, uh, in San Francisco or New York when they could move to like Iowa or something Latvia. and, and like, <laughs> yeah. And, and because they're already working remotely, I mean, you could pick somewhere, they could move somewhere in Maine, like to be on the Eastern seaboard still. And, uh, and then the, the companies, the lovely HR people and their spreadsheets are like, oh, right. But if you move there, it just, it's, we're going to reduce your pay because it wouldn't be fair. Uh, mm -hmm. There's always something about fair or regional pay is that. And to me, that's sort of like, uh, you know, so I'm going to get paid less. Just, there's so, no more, there's, there's no more rationality. Do, do, do it's I, like do I'm I getting need a pay to, cut. Yeah. And, you know, well, I'm living in San Francisco. Do I need to submit a rent statement? Because I've got four roommates, right? So right, I'm only right. paying, but, you know, 500 a month. Do, do you need to cut my pay? Because one of my roommates moved is, out. Now I'm making less. Can I have a raise? There, There <laughs> is that detail. So that's when you get that's when you get off into, like, the programmers are going crazy. But Jordy <laughs> did bring up a good a good point once, once, which was, which was how, how did, uh, it's, it's essentially like, on the other hand, if you are, let's say you're an, uh, you know, no offense to Iowa. Let's let's pick something that's less offensive. Let's say that you are Iowa. a that cornfields behind. Let, you. Let, yeah, let, let's say <laughs> awesome. let's say you uh, let's say you you're you're a company in El Paso, right? And and you want to start hiring people in San Francisco. Like you're probably going to need to pay them more than you would pay someone in El Paso, right? And so that's the uh, as I like to tell both ways when he's talking about things not being fair. And so there's an instance where like. All right. Well, if we're going to hire people in San Francisco, I guess we can't pay them El Paso rates. Like we're going to have to pay more. Uh, I don't know. But, but then, I but then you come back minute, to the go back to the. I think the issue here is not that geography affects pay. I think that's just always going to be how it is. I think the the issue here is what really makes people mad is sort of you know changing things in the middle of a deal, right? So it's yes. like yeah, 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 that yeah. to me. Yeah. I think that's the part that messes up. It's just to say. Hey, the fact that like, you know, you're here, we've all experienced this global pandemic in our own way. 
and it's led to all these things. And then, okay, now suddenly we're going to have all these new policies, which is sort of like enforcing change on a group of people that there was a certain status quo in place. And I think that's the real issue. Right, right. I think well, yeah, going it's, forward- It's two hops. It's, it's two hops. So, because you let people start working remote, right? So everyone started working remote. You know, yes, they might've still been in San Francisco or, you know, oh, they, they moved somewhere, you know, somewhere else, but they were still making the same pay. And like, okay, now you're working remote. You're in the same time zone. You're actually still close, but you're not coming to the office. But, you know, because you were working remote, you didn't see the value in being in the city. And so you popped out to somewhere else. And now they're like, well, that's just a line too far. And right. Like, well, I think, and I think okay? that's the whole thing. It's like enforcing. Yeah. I just think, you know, to me, and I'm surprised to see Google, it's like there's a lot of ways this could have been handled much simpler. It's just sort of like, all right, understand that people have now relocated and maybe you're going to implement or like, a remote location, but going forward, you can then build that into your future offers, right? You can say like, well, there's some premium people are willing to like, you know, maybe take a little less money on remote when they're going into a job. But again, they opt into that, right? They see, they decide whether or not that's, yeah, 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 yeah. and then going forward for Google, cause I mean, they have a very stringent, you know, the long, you know, very uh, long uh, review process. Like it just seems like you could start to work, work these adjustments into the annual review process and adjust salaries that way and just say, okay, going forward, you know, you've done good work, uh, this position. And then you can say, you've done great work. I'm going to promote you and give you more money or you've, you've done fine, but like, uh, you know, you're not in the office as much. So maybe you're not instead of getting the X bonus, you're getting the Y bonus or you're getting, you know, and just like you yeah. can kind of have conversations versus like forcing change on someone. So I think that's the mistake here to me is just like suddenly, I, I mean, the, you know, making everybody reevaluate their pay. Cause then it also too, it just leads to weird perverse incentives in general. Absolutely. I mean, and, and the thing about developers and well, especially developers is, you know, they're not used to their salaries ever going down. <laughs> <laughs> right. But like I more mean, cynically, ever, right? much more cynically, I would guess, right. My guess would be this will become a tool as an unfortunate oh, ranking <laughs> tool, right? Yeah. Where it's like when it is when somebody isn't necessarily um, doing as well, or they want someone to stay longer, oh, yeah. right? Suddenly, that person will be told all of the rules apply one hundred percent to them. When you're a very high performer, ha did move to Iowa and has single handedly like written every line of code and a very important project. Probably that person is just like, ah, oh, he's that person is doing fine. We just let them keep the salary. And, that and would that, be how that, this that's when you goes. Yeah. And that's absolutely when you realize you are a cog, right? If you are in that organization and you know, they're not gonna make exceptions for you, you're like, Oh, I'm a cog, right? <laughs> and you know, either you're cool with that or you're not. And you know, if you are a recruiter for you know anybody who competes, you know, <laughs> for developer talent. You know, that's an easy pitch to make. It's like, you know, hey, come to, you know, company XYZ. We're not faceless automatons in the Google machine. Yeah. I do, but I will be, I don't know, to defend me the wrong word. I'll just say it's like, you know, this is pretty common everywhere now. Like most most places are gonna have salary bands by geography. You're gonna have you're gonna struggle to not find anybody that doesn't take it into account at all. So I mean, Oh yeah. You know, it doesn't it's like, yeah, I mean, maybe your point is like, everybody's a cog. You should have known that. I mean, maybe I'm just saying like, like, why did you need to wait, wait till this to know that? But um, I just think it's very common. And, and I don't know. So in this case, it's more a PR issue. Like the fact that Google, and maybe this is Google going one step too far. Like they said they have an internal tool that lets people estimate the changes, which is like the ultimate engineering Google way of doing that. Right. And it's like, yeah, how about not have that tool? How about just, you know. Deal with it internally <laughs> well, and just yeah. quietly we'll fine tune the tool. I, it, yeah, just like just yeah. treat I, I people I, with some respect there, right? Like, so. I, I think, I think, I think you. The, the, I mean, other than the point of like, no one wants to get paid less, right? Like that's so we got that covered, no problem. Uh, but I think, I think you bring another good point up, Brandon, which is like, well, you can't change the terms of a deal after the deal. <laughs> right. Like that's just like, that's not cool. No matter what the, the fine print says. And I think, I think the other thing that's infuriating, especially now, I mean, if you're like some sort of like couch manufacturer in like North Carolina, that's just barely holding on or whatever, it's, it's sort of one thing. But if you're like a big tech company that's throwing off billions of dollars a quarter in profit and you're like, yeah, yeah, like, like, like it, it, would, it would be. I mean, I mean, I know payroll is a huge component of all sorts of companies, but like, it would be interesting to see, like, yeah, but how much money are we talking about here? Are we talking about like fifty billion dollars a year, or are we talking about yeah. five hundred million dollars a year? Well, and, and, like, and that's why, like, 
on, on the one hand, it's sort of way. like, yeah, yeah, like like you know, one of my favorite phrases is like, you don't make money by spending it, right? Like that's so. <laughs> maybe all those billions of dollars have come by not spending the money, but also on the other hand, like that's a, that's a lot of billions of dollars, right? Like what all are right, you doing? Let with me. That, uh, right? In their like, interest, let, I don't know. Let me go the other way here, just so you guys can tear it apart. It's like the one part about that, and I see this all the time around. You know, whatever company has X billions of dollars. And it's like, I think we have to think of it less though as like money in the bank, right? And more about what all of that company executives is about keeping that share price going up. That's what they really care about. Mm. And yeah, everybody yeah, yeah, sure. has earnings uh, um, projections to meet, you know, to the QBR earlier discussion, right? Everyone's got to meet. You got to meet your prop. You got to meet your sales goals and you got to meet your expense goals. And it doesn't matter the fact that you have $50 billion in the bank. Like it's all priced in. No one's going to give you credit. It's not like your house, right? Or like, you know, your personal finances where you're like, I got so much money saved up. My expenses are running low. I can just, you know, I I can really cut back. It's like everybody is on that treadmill and that's sort of how the system is built. So the fact that it's not like, it's never about like, for most companies, it's not about like, oh, suddenly we're literally going to have to go borrow money because we've run out of money to pay people. It's more like we're not going to meet those earnings right. estimates, which <laughs> all the value executives companies. care yeah, sure, about. Sure. And, and that is why keeping the expenses in line, whether it be salary, travel, whatever, even when you have the money, that's where people are coming from. So, you know, maybe right, it's a right, brutal that, way to look and, and, at it, but that's, that's how they're thinking yeah, about no, it. No, 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 no. Yeah. No, that makes sense. But and then and then that also breaking the deal thing, which is if we're going to go, you know, not speaking to any company that does this, but just the the generic company, like uh, if we're going to go down the deeply cynical unmasking path, that would suggest companies are looking for ways to make up the money that was priced into the share price, right? right? Like yeah, that some, yes. some some money get because because if everything your share price is based on people's future idea of what your valuation is. I don't know, in theory, unless you're AMC movie theaters or GameStop or something, in which case it's something else. But <laughs> Please, like, no. but, but like, so that would mean that if people, and this is, you know, if your staff went to go work remotely, in theory, that should not affect the numbers that are priced into your share price, right? There, sh- there should be no effect on that. So from a share price perspective, there's no reason to cut people's existing pay because that was priced into it already, right? So, which is, there's a point in, I think, in the Register article that some, I don't know, some professor of left-wingingness was was saying like, well, by definition, the companies have proven that they can pay the people this much because they did pay them this much, (laughs) right? Like there's, there is not an issue with it. So, so, so there is, there is, uh, that's, that's, that's a, that's a odd but just finish that statement, statement, right? It's like, that's absolutely true. They can yeah. afford to pay this much, but they're not maximizing. At least this will be the other side of that argument. It'd be like, they're not maximizing right, right. The, their, the amount of money they can make. And think about, as we've already seen in earnings announcements, one thing that is already happening, people are saying, companies rather are saying something like, you know, we as we look forward, our guidance, we actually think we may have some, uh, for example, we may have some real estate charges this quarter, but the reason we're having this is we're actually going to get rid of a lot of this real estate as we move mm. to a work from, and so therefore, uh, for all the financial <laughs> analysts modeling it, right, we would like you to like, our, our, our expenses are going to go down this amount, right? And then the next time at the next analyst call, I was like, you know, we were able to grow and we're really happy that we're able to keep in expenses in line. We find that like we can still pay people very competitive salaries, but by incenting them in other ways, right, we're, we're you know, we're yeah, essentially yeah. reducing our expenses. And someone, you know, put it in the chat here and it's like the risk, though, is absolutely that you start to, um, you know, as, you, as they say here, burn the talent. Right. And so, you know, that's that's that obviously is a risk and there's a point where it goes too far. But I just think it's always like we should never think about like that's like a bank of money and they have the money. It doesn't matter. Sure, they have sure, earnings sure. to the, meet. This that's is what a, matters. Yeah. But that's the sort of like, you know, quant financial engineering that's like, hear me out, hear me out. If we fired everyone, this company would be profitable for another three years. Zero salaries. All the contracts are lined up. You know, we are prime target for private equity, right? And that's that's what happens is people are like, you know what? That company is worth more dead than alive. Yeah, and, no, absolutely. you, know, that is you are kind of going back and forth on this like, oh, well, 
you know, we got too many employees, you know, and like, well, if we just cut some of them, you know, we would keep that stock price going. It's like, you know what, if we cut all of them, the stock price would really goose. Right. right? And then like, who cares about, you know, a year and a half from now, you know, who, who's going to yeah, fix just, those bugs, it, right? Just think of all the new startups that that, that kind of thinking creates. <laughs> exactly. So this, one, is, no. this, is, this is Google's be, be beneficial for the entire, uh, you know, open source world. Everyone's going to be like, now that I've been fired from Google or, you know, now that Google cut 5% off my salary, I'm going to go st- do a startup and we're going to implement, you know, whatever thing that I used to like working there. Yeah. But I think <laughs> it's just a lie. So, but I think so what they, you're getting should... at, it's just the line, right? This is, I just think of it more around like, this is the the equilibrium every company is trying to figure out. It's like, oh, yeah. I want to pay everybody so that they are motivated and they're here and they're excited and I'm seeing good work product and we're making our goals. But I really don't want to pay them more than that, right? And I think, you know, like there's another article outside of this one on uh, Wall Street, right? The Wall Street bankers, we talked about that, is that I guess a lot of the analysts were just like, oh, I don't want to do this job. So they've gone through many of these Wall Street firms have had to raise that entry pay analyst stuff. And again, you're like, well, why does it even matter? And it's like, it's the same kind of thing. They, they've kind of figured out that like, yeah, I, you know, I think in some cases they went from like, let's see the numbers are out there. You can look at it, but they're all six figure jobs, but it's like, yeah, we had to up the pay and actually show them all ranked. And it's like, I just think it's like every company, no matter where you are, like this is, I guess this is to think of it this way. It's like all these companies, unless they're private are all, they have entire departments focused on figuring this out. Like, what is the salary bands we need people at? Can we keep them there? When do we have to move them up? How do we move them down? And they're always going to be adjusted. I don't think it will ever change. So, okay. So last test on this, as always, bring in Amazon as some fun test. Now, I don't know if this is the following is true, but we read it in the last book that the maximum salary you get at Amazon is $165,000. The rest of your comp is in stock, stock. right? So if I have pegged out, if I'm at Amazon and I've pegged out my 165,000 a year, right? In theory, I can live wherever and they're not going to adjust my pay very much. I, I don't know. Let's, let's assume Maybe they adjust your stock. <laughs> right. But, but then I also have a significant amount of stock, right? I mean, that's a huge part of my long-term compensation. So am I in favor of this, Brandon? Am I like, yes, pay me 150,000. No, it. In fact, pay me a hundred thousand dollars because I have so much stock and it's going to, the numbers are going to get so much better that if we do that with everyone, then my share price is going to go up. So I'm totally cool. Like taking a pay cut. Well, I think it's clearly worked. I mean, it's, it's one of these things like obviously in the, it's worked out great for Amazon because they've had this incredible stock run for, you know, a period of years. So, you know, as long as, you know, you're being, you feel like you're getting actually seeing the compensation flow back through. And in this case, probably, in the form of many times multiple of your salary, right? You're going to go with it. I think the problem for that, that's a different kind of treadmill. The problem there is- You'd have just to like, have that demonstrated y- to you. Yeah. What happens when the, if the stock market, you know, if you're, and again, like it may be fairly valued. The stock is so super valued now. It's like, how can you argue, you know, I mean, is it going to go like to 2 trillion to 3 trillion? Like, I mean, there's is this point where it's like, well, at some point the stock appreciation may not be compensating uh, for that low salary, but- in the case of Amazon, I'm sure people have been telling them that for like, I don't know, 15 or 20 years. And they're like, would you like yeah, to refer yeah. to my share price, our, our chart here? And I'd be like, well, you're right. <laughs> it worked out really well for you. Um, but that's it. Uh, you like, got me this time, Amazon. Yeah, it feels very, very unique because, you know, I think the advice at most startups. Yeah, when it's people, too much I, of an outlier, right? Yeah, when I, yeah. When, if people ask me, right, not that it happens that much, but like if, if you, hey, if you're going to a startup, it's like, you know, really up until like after the Series A, probably everyone, I would say, you know, you should be asking for a market rate salary. Like there's just too much unknown and you're not going to have a huge percentage of the company. Right. So if you're in really early, like you're, you know, very early, then you could, you would probably make some trade-off because you're getting so much stock. That's actually a percentage. Like you could actually measure it maybe in a percentage point or two, but beyond that, it's like, no, like you're just not like the risks, the risk reward there is not high enough. So I think that's like a dirty little secret. It's like, once you're a series A, it's like most people are going to be asking for market salaries. And if they're not, it's like, it's, that's a big risk for them. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, uh, hmm. troubling. That's what, you know, no one likes to get paid less. I think, I think that's all it amounts to just people want the money. No need (laughs) to take it from them just because they want to live in Iowa. This episode is brought to you by Strong DM. 
Are you managing a gazillion SSH database passwords and Kubernetes certs? How do you manage an audit at that scale? Meet StrongDM, the only way to simplify infrastructure access and audit controls across any environment, no matter how diverse. StrongDM extends any SSO to centrally manage access to databases, servers, and Kubernetes clusters, so onboarding and offboarding can be done in a single click. Escalate privileges with just-in-time access and automatically log every query and command. Trusted by companies like Hearst, Peloton, and SoFi, StrongDM is the only way to manage access and audit controls at scale without disrupting your workflows. Start your 14-day free trial at strongdm.com slash SDT. There's no credit card required. That's strongdm.com slash SDT. And of course, we thank StrongDM for sponsoring our show. Well, do we have any uh, bureaucracy this week, Brandon? We do have uh, a few items. I want to uh, thank Russell for writing in. I um, sent him some stickers. He's in uh, Newland, North Carolina. Uh, actually, feel like I know North Carolina pretty well, but did not know where Newland is. So it's it's on the western part of the state. So thank you, Russell, for writing in. Happy to send you some stickers. Also sent stickers to Mike in uh, Rochester, New York. And Mike sent me an email using, remember this? Hey email. I had totally forgotten about hey oh, email. Oh yeah. And I was like, oh wow, you're like using hey email. How's it going? So he says it's it's going pretty well. He's he he seems reasonably happy with it as well. So I was, I was just good. I had totally forgotten because I like the whole controversy, right? Wasn't there like everyone like left that company and people were mad? Yep. So just so hopefully, like oh yeah. I hope some enterprising uh, journalist will go back and like write the retrospective, like what happened? Did they hire people? Did everything work itself out? Um, is hey email still going to take over the world? Like I haven't seen anything. So, so anyway, uh, long story there. Huh. So thanks to Russell and Mike, but if you would like a sticker, all you have to do is send your postal address to stickers at software talk.com. And I will be happy to send you a sticker anywhere in the world. And then finally, just want to give a quick shout out to Jordy. You mentioned earlier in the show, uh, he has posted a job. So he wants you to become a senior software engineer at Weaveworks. So if you want more information on that, you should find Jordy in the Slack and he'll tell you, if it's a good job and if they pay you based on your geography. So I don't know, maybe he won't tell you that, but I'll probably tell you more about the job. So, uh, he's in Spain. So check, <laughs> check all of that out. Well, they're based in London. So hopefully they do not pay you on your geography. And if you live in Iowa, you'd make bank, with, <laughs> yeah. you know, with those London rates, you, you might have to sign up for transfer wise to, uh, move those pounds sterling to uh, us dollars. But I don't know that, you know, it's actually, you know, uh, Matt Ray, I found that if you have the right bank account set up, it's actually pretty cheap to wire money. You can wire money for like $25 a wire, if not less, yeah. if you uh, have the right place. You don't have to use this TransferWise stuff. I wish someone would have uh, told me that uh, hmm. before I used TransferWise. Because I, I don't even, like TransferWise is very expensive. I mean, relative to $25 well, for was, any amount. Yeah. If, it, yeah. If, if, you, if you have a fixed transfer rate, yes. If you have small, if yeah. you have a, a floating transfer rate, no. And, you know, speaking of transferring money, did I, did I tell you all that when we were buying a house here and getting a mortgage, we had to multiple times, I don't know if y'all have ever signed these or listeners have, but we had to sign those papers when we were doing adoptions, we had to do this. And, and it's like, it's like always three or four pages of papers, but that basically ask you one thing, are you a criminal? And, and you're just like, (laughs) is there, the answer is no. Like, like, like when, when does a criminal ever put, like, you know, they oh, have that question on there because they've yes. caught people. No, yes. That, this, that question yeah. is there. Isn't this just a form of, uh, isn't this the old KYC? This is the know your customer. So they, they're really just getting that paperwork in line for the auditor, right? That's really all they really oh, care about. Oh, of course, about. of course, like, of course. The, just, uh, just like that. We, we asked that it's just, you know, uh, someone probably has written some short story or book, probably, probably not a poem, but it's, it is like a very, uh, you know, modern life thing of like, we all like, it's, uh, let me reduce it. There's that old saying that uh, locks only keep good people out. Right. And mm-hmm. I feel like, I feel like that question only confuses good people who are just like, I don't do fucking do this. And the, the money look, were you, know, you asked multiple times, because like, I think it's usually like provide some like passport or state license, right? So proof who you are. And then you write, yeah, like, there's yeah. like, it's like usually one page where you have to like then assert that like, the information you provided well, is accurate. Okay, right. You are who you are, and then so, you sign it once. Now, did you get like have to do it four or five times? So we, I think we had to. There was at least two sessions we had to do this, and and you know, as always, Brandon, just clarifying things. There, there was a pack, a three-page thing, and and like over. I don't know. I haven't done like big money stuff in the states in a while, but over here they are paranoid as fuck about money laundering. 
Like mm-hmm. they are yeah. like, and in fact, my bank ABN, they recently get this. Speaking of changing uh, pay rates, this is like one of the most comically best things ever uh, is they recently raised fees uh, to help combat money laundering. And coincidentally, I think about three or six months before that, they had paid a huge fine for money laundering. Okay. So, so, like, say, my, yeah. so my like, bank paid like a $5 billion fine for money laundering. <laughs> yeah. And, and so and I they're mean, like, don't get me wrong. Oh, okay. Cost of doing don't, business. Don't get me wrong. My, I mean, obviously money laundering seems like a big problem, but so back to your point, the the last form that we filled out was, you know, I, I have that saying that, that, that uh, you know, a mortgage is a is a document of every single thing that's gone wrong with a mortgage since humans were born. Right. That's why they're so thick is they have to cover every single case. And in this case, I think you could see all of the um, all of the known exploits that money launderers use because they oh, would yeah. go down and one and one they're like, you know, I don't remember the wording, but it's like, are you a criminal? And then it's like. Are you a relative of a high position politician in a foreign country? Like, and then it's like, are you a sister or brother-in-law of a politician? Are you related to a former politician of a foreign? And, and it just like you go down all these questions and you like, I, I have to force myself to read all of them because I keep thinking they're going to switch the position of the yes and no, just to make sure people are paying attention. Oh, <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. No, 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 like, no, like no. those. Oh yes. I no, like in those forms, you know, like they those, are. That is not a test. That is one of the forms. Yeah. You probably yeah. just like, there is it's, no it's like, inverting like, you know, the thing. Yeah. It's like, the, it's like that first quiz that you get in first grade where like it has 20 questions and the, and the 20th question says, do nothing that the previous ones did. And the first yeah. ones are like, you know, stand up and question five is like, you know, jump up and down. And they told you to read everything at yeah, first. Read the whole test first. Like, right. Mm-hmm. Anyhow. Uh, yeah. You could be nice to pay, be paid London rates uh, living in Iowa. So there's also some conferences coming up. Uh, none in Iowa, sadly, I guess this is the Iowa episode, but uh, we have, we have our conference uh, coming up uh, spring one. In uh, September 1st and 2nd, lots of great talks there. We have another uh, another one called DevOps Loop that I've been helping put together on October 4th. I did a little uh, a little promo video, it, you know, in that I mentioned it in a DevOps-related thing. I'll, I'll put a link to it. But if you go look at my Twitter, you can see it. And uh, you can see the chaotic nature of the inside of our house if you look at that. Also, that conference, January 17th to 20th, maybe by then we'll be able to come over as discussed uh last episode and then also uh devops world by cloud bees is uh september 28th and 30th a virtual event well uh you know we got all sorts of social things you should join our slack you can we get an email that comes out every week with all the links that we talked about and didn't talk about if you go to softwaredefinedtalk.com you can figure out how to sign up for those but with that matt ray what's your recommendation this week (laughs) <laughs> my recommendation this week is the Uniqlo fluffy yarn fleece full zip jacket. Uh, it's this black jacket I'm wearing. Um, as uh, as my wife pointed out, it looks like I skinned a Muppet. Um, <laughs> but it is super warm. And uh, I think they're on clearance because they look kind of ridiculous. But um, it, it, it looks like a Muppet jacket, but it's the warmest thing I own. And uh, uh in these uh, cold Sydney winters in my poorly heated house, it's uh, paying off. You, you you should spend some money on insulation or something like that, right? I think, it's I not think my the house. Whole time That's the peril of the renting. Whole, you are handed whole time a bag of shit and you get to defend it. The whole, the whole time you've lived there, you've been cold. Like, you know, it's, it's very odd. But Summer's coming. I, I understand, though. If, if, and if then everything will be on fire, but warm. Channel. How about yourself, Brandon? What do you have to recommend? A couple of quick recommendations here. One, uh, in addition to all the social channels, Cote mentioned before, we've now we're I would say we're back on YouTube. So if you miss the streaming and you are someone that likes YouTube, look in the show notes. We've got our own YouTube channel now. I'm sure we're on our way to um, being the next next Mr. Beast or something along those lines. But on a serious note, if you wouldn't mind uh, liking and subscribing, because I need enough people to like it or subscribe so I can uh, actually get a real URL. So I'd appreciate it. Even if you never watch, just, you know, come on, it'll only take you a second. Just get in there and do the YouTube. <laughs> uh, and then my recommendation this week is uh, I watched the latest Suicide Squad. It's on HBO Max. So I'm not 
Um, I'm not usually into like, you know, a lot of the superhero movies, all the, all the DC and all that stuff, but I thought this was really good. It reminded me a little bit of uh, Deadpool and it's one, I should say a couple of things here. It's uh it's definitely R rated. It is definitely not family friendly. I also like that this, uh, this doesn't require a lot, almost any real knowledge of like the, the universe of what's happened before or their characters. It sort of just is what it is. It's a violent kind of funny has a lot of crazy scenes. Uh, so I enjoyed it. So, but that's, you got to qualify yourself into this. Like if you like the gardens of the galaxy or you like Deadpool, if you like that kind of stuff, but maybe a little bit more violent, um, you'll enjoy this. But if you're, if you're like, if you like all the story and you know, all the, all the people and you know, you know, every, every, all the things that happened in the time travel and, and all the plot stuff, that's probably, this is not for you because this is just, is, is it on streaming? Yeah. Is it on streaming? Well, HBO Max. There are no movie theaters open in my country. <laughs> okay. Well, here in um, in the U.S., it was available on HBO Max. So I don't know. Hopefully with all the – I'll find it. Um, hopefully with a good VPN or maybe just uh, – they should – Warner Brothers should just <laughs> allow Australia to have this during your fortress of uh, of uh, quarantine. <laughs> hopefully you'll be able to watch it, Matt, right? So check it I'm out. I'm on it. Thank you. They they should – you know, uh, the, the like Hollywood or whoever restricts this stuff, they should – for for the uh, fortress australia they should be like okay we'll relax the geographic we'll throw rules. Those guys we understand there are only 23 million of us and we love suicide and, squad and 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 they'll be like the thing is if you think about it if they want to download the video uh it's going to take them longer than the quarantine is going to last anyways with, with <laughs> hey! the quality that they have over there <laughs> well my my recommendation uh this week is uh i had to look it up but it's it's uh, the desk that I am not using right now, but that I've set back up here at the house and I use at the old one. And speaking of IKEA, I don't know how to pronounce an A with a little O on top, but it's the Paul Children's Desk. Now, this desk is great because it has three adjustable settings, not with a button, but you know you you unscrew it and then you can go down so you can start with a little kid and then you can move mm. it up to a second level and start with the big kid, and then you move it up to the third level. It's like, you know, teenager. I'll have to find the picture that depicts this, where there's like a little kid at a desk, then a slightly bigger kid. And then the teenager one is the teenagers like leaning back in their chair with sunglasses on. And I think they might have like some bubble gum coming out of their mouth. But I I like a, uh, I'm not quite one to have a door desk, like uh, like the 165,000 a year people. But I, I do like just a regular simple desk. And this desk has served me quite well. It's got two rails. All right. And you're so a teenager. Check that out. Well, with that, this has been another episode of Software Defined Talk. If you want to get the show notes for this episode, you can go to softwaredefinedtalk.com slash 315. All sorts of fun stuff to click on. And uh, we'll see everyone next time. Bye-bye. Bye. There's something where you look at you look at the uh, you look at the sales forecast. Yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah. And each, Everything has a each, score. For each account. Percentage. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for each account, the salesperson has to be like, here is my the word yeah. I'm looking for that this is going to go through. Confidence, yeah. level. and I don't think it's a, something as scientific as confidence interval. It's like it's like which is a good suggestion. That's what it technically is. I just like I think a, people say like yeah I forecast it. I mean it's usually by sales stage, right? Like hey it's sales stage four con- that and that's you're saying that you're eighty percent confident it'll close right or something like that. So normally yeah, and then sales people fight. Sounds have. good. Yeah. Salespeople fight over if it's, you know, actually 20 or 40. And then, you know, the, the VP of sales is like, you can't cross that 30 unless you've identified your buyer. Yeah. Yeah. There's always like, there, yeah, <laughs> it, it's always the same conversation. So who's the buying authority? You can't you hit purchased? 50 until you've been put in contact with uh, purchasing. Do you know who in purchasing, purchasing. is going to do this? Do you know who do you're know purchasing? Yeah. It's like oh it's the same conversation every single week. It's like, I do. And I guess if the salesperson was on, it's like, well, I know the answers, but if I, if I say it's at 30, then they just reverse. It's like, I don't understand why I don't have this at 50. Like, so it doesn't, you know, so it's almost better to like be optimistic and beaten down Sandbag. than it is no. to, uh, to, um, save 30% and then been beaten up. So I don't know. Maybe just get it right. People suck. <laughs> Look at you, Matt. Listen to Matt. Just get it right. Oh, that is, that is just, man, sales people around the world. Oh, it's like telling the man. developer, like, why don't you estimate better? You know, I can't no, believe no, no. Oh long. yeah. Yeah, no, it's... I've been in those sales meetings and I just shut the hell up because yeah. it's like, whew. It is the ultimate meeting. It's, where it's brutal. The goal of the meeting is never information. The goal of the meeting is just the dance.
So oh anyway. well, I, especially if you're not like part of that loop, you just sit there for like you know 45 minutes without saying a word. You're yeah, like, yep. I feel bad for everyone on this call. Yeah, and you feel good about it. It's not, not me. Yeah, you feel good. Yeah, about exactly. Like, this is you know, good. and then you're like back channeling with the marketing guy who got dragged into the meeting. Yeah. No, <laughs> you're like. And so yeah, and then it's, uh, and at some point, I was, like, I was, the PowerPoint I was in is a, always brought up. Like the PowerPoint is wrong. I don't understand it. We had a better slide. This other competitor has a such and such. Like, that's the <laughs> and the marketing guy comes off of mute. It's like first I've heard of this. Yeah, I yeah. Well, have you? Are you using? And then it, no, no. It's are you using the latest deck that I sent out last week? And it's like no. It's like no. We're using the thing before, right? So that's great. Oh, yeah, and then, and then you've got the slide where you can tell someone pasted a slide from a different template, and so all the colors are off, <sighs> and then just like. So oh my god then the Our executive gets involved have and russian the, the founder executive gets really mad and it's like because it's like yeah um no one's going to make as much money as you are so we all care a lot less but again you can't really say that that as well either it's like this is another job for me you're going to be a millionaire i'm just going to be working so chill out all right, that concludes the QBR. Thanks for everyone attending. All right, all right, <laughs> We're, uh, this, that's going to have to make it back into the episode. 